0: All right, welcome aboard to the White Collar Crimes Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Horn. Great to have you aboard. On the podcast that shows you the only color that truly matters in our criminal justice system is green. Great to have you listening, no matter where you're listening from. I know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we're glad to have you wherever you're from. And wherever you are listening from, I would dare say you are most likely very familiar with the story on uh, this episode... And it's uh, one of Martha Stewart, um, even if you're not familiar with her white collar crime case, so to speak, I dare say, you know, overwhelming majority of you listening are at least familiar who she is. You know, you've seen her on TV or, you know, the Internet or anywhere that, you know, any type of media, you've probably seen her at some point. And, uh, you know, she's been at it things a while and, you know, she's had fame and fortune for a while and. Uh, She's, uh, you know, also famous for doing a brief stint in prison, which we'll talk about here in just a little bit. But Martha Stewart was born in New Jersey in 1941. Uh, Both of her parents were teachers. So as far as anyone knows, I didn't read anything about any unusual upbringing or, you know, anything. As far as I know, she had a normal, solid, uh, you know, kind of middle class Catholic upbringing. Again, born and raised in New Jersey. And uh, she did some modeling in college and kind of got a break and entrance into show business, I guess, so to speak. And then left and began a career as a stockbroker in 1967. So a long time before her legal troubles began with the stock market, she uh, learned the stock market well working on the inside there. Which, you know, a lot of these uh, white-collar criminals that we've covered, you know, especially some of the securities violators uh you know that's how they started out legitimately working in the stock market and you know they find ways later to manipulate and uh, tamper with it to their favor which you know illegally of course but nonetheless that's when she got her break and did that for a while but in 1976 she began a catering business out of the basement of her home with a friend and you know really you'd be amazed in this great country how many businesses have started just like that in a basement. Uh, I think I read a while back, Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, started, you know, selling books there in his garage. And, uh, you know, uh, this, so me, the Fuller Brush Company back in the day, you know, started out in the man's basement. And, next thing, you know, and, you know, he's selling them door to door. And it branches into this, you know, huge company that's still in existence today. Same thing with the Watkins Company. You know, they make a lot of spices and home remedies and things like that. They are still around, and that's how they started out you know, and on and on. And that's the beauty of this country, you know, the entrepreneurial spirit we have, that you can do that. So, and she launched out and, you know, was very good at uh, cooking and home etiquette and things like that. And that's, you know, what I dare say probably most of you know her for. And that's what she branched out and did. And after about, you know, six years of success with this, uh, she actually published a cookbook called Entertaining. And, You know, my mom was big into cookbooks. My mom is the one that likes to cook and do those kind of things. And, you know, I can always remember her, and she still does use cookbooks because she doesn't do the Internet or technology. But, you know, sadly, cookbooks are kind of one of these things I see, you know, many things now, you know, each day, the older I get, that I see uh, being erased by technology. You know, you see so many uh, things like this that technology is replacing. Now, if somebody wants a recipe, I'd say most likely they just look it up online, you know, very few probably use the big old cookbook now, but uh, back then in 1982, you know, the internet's not really a thing yet, so that's how things were done. And you know, it was a success, as well as her catering business. This book was a success, and it led her to publish more, more books, and uh, started getting her doing some guest columns in some newspapers, magazine article here and there, and then uh, slowly evolved into some television appearances, um, which led to some big time television appearances on. Shows like Oprah Winfrey and some other ones. And she continued to branch out and, uh, you know, gain success with uh, her cooking and, uh, again, home etiquette tips and things like that. And she published a magazine, Martha Stewart Living, which, again, that's another thing that's uh, becoming a thing of the past. You know, I mean, they're still around. You see them you know, airports and, you know, some places like that and doctor's offices and whatnot. But, you know, the overwhelming majority of magazines that are around, if they're surviving are you know, having to go online and and things of that sort, you know, just the, uh, you know, the old uh, paper magazines, as we've known, you know, the, you know, page turners, as they're like to be called. Sadly, those are coming to a uh, thing of the past too, which is, you know, kind of sad and unfortunate, but nonetheless, that... uh that is happening. So she started this in about 1990, and the magazine was a hit, and, you know, she continued to make more frequent media appearances of all types, and, uh, you know, the problem is with fame and fortune, though, sometimes you do get on the radar of a lot of powerful uh, powerful people and a lot of powerful officials, and one of these powerhouses that uh, she began to get into the radar of was the SEC, the Security and Exchange Commission, which... We've talked about many times on this show, you know, and many, many of these white-collar criminals involved in stock crimes, uh, this is who they're taken down by because, you know, their job is to sort of uh, police the stock market and Wall Street, uh, so to speak. And that's uh, generally who these white-collar criminals that are involved in these types of uh, white-collar crimes, that's who they oftentimes first get on the radar of. And she actually was beginning to get on their radar around this time. And what brought some of that about is she had actually been reported to have avoided a big loss on some of her stocks by selling about 4,000 shares of a company she had stock in called, I think it's pronounced right, M-Clone Systems. And uh, supposedly she got some of this inside information long before the public did, which allowed her to cash out before... You know, the company went belly up and the rank and file stockholders lost everything they had. You know, again, this happens all the time and it's, you know, it's illegal. But as I have mentioned on this uh, podcast several times, you know, insider trading like this is hard for prosecutors to have to prove because, you know, just like so many other crimes, you have to prove intent. You have to prove they intended Uh, To seek out and get this knowledge illegally and cash in on it illegally before, you know, anyone else or anyone could do it the right proper legal way. So that's insider trading. You know, I mean, it's easy to probably prove the act much easier than it is to prove the intent, which, you know, it is that way with a lot of crimes. But I think when we're talking white collar crime, this is one of the more difficult types of white collar crimes to actually prove intent with. So she is getting on their radar um she got this knowledge from uh, a gentleman that was her merrill lynch broker at the time and after she sold her shares the uh company stocks just as she had been tipped off fell sharply and crashed out and as i said a little bit ago the rank and file investors lost everything they had and uh you know crashed out which that's uh insider trading you know enron was a perfect example of how this happened you know of course you know, unlike, uh, some of the companies where this goes on at, you know, we've talked about Enron on here before too, you know, it technically was really a false company. It's almost like it really didn't exist. It was just a propped up, you know, fake, uh, creation. But, uh, nonetheless, uh, as the ship began to sink, the officials there did the same thing. And, you know, and that's not to say any time a company's going down when people, uh, You know, if people have the foresight to see it coming and they cash out and all that, that's not insider trading. You know, I mean, just having, you know, instincts and knowledge to do it. But what is insider knowledge is when someone gets this information, you know, and and these types of tips before the public has access to them. That is what generally will classify as insider trading. But during this time, she, you know, as I said, does get under a little bit more scrutiny, but she does continue to focus on her brand brand. But uh, it was becoming a little bit more difficult with this scrutiny, you know, whispers about uh, stock trading or insider trading, manipulation, things of that sort, you know, and and prior to this, you know, she had the squeaky clean, wholesome, almost like June Cleaver, you know, type of image. And, uh, you know, this was certainly starting to uh, put some dents in that armor, you know, so to speak, you know, and take down that image, because that's how she was seen at that point. Almost kind of like a goody two shoes, I think for lack of a better word. And, uh, she started to take some hits on her image and, uh, nonetheless, though she did continue to try to push through it. And she did for, you know, quite a few years, you know, despite the whispering of things going on, you know, and this is a lot of this was occurring in about the 1990s, but by the time the early two thousands come around, things, you know, slowly began to unravel for, her, and by, June 24th of 2003, she was officially indicted on nine federal counts of securities fraud and obstruction of justice, and uh, her trial would begin about seven months later in January of 2004. I mean, it's hard to believe. I remember when all this is happening, and you know, it's hard to believe we're talking 18 years, you know, here in about, you know, less than a year and a half, this will have been 20 years old now. I mean, it's just hard for me to fathom some of the stuff that I look back on and see where it seems like, to me, it was just a few years ago. And, you know, some of these things happened 15, 20 years ago. You know, we just had the 21st anniversary of uh, 9-11 this year, which, again, I remember that day quite well. You know, I was at work that day like, you know, many Americans were. And, you know, it's hard to imagine that, you know, to me, again, that just seems like that was, you know, five or ten years ago. And, I mean, it's 21 years ago. It's just, it's nuts where this time is going. And, you know, this case was uh, one that... uh seems like it just happened too but you know it has been quite a while back but as all celebrity trials do we've seen with oj simpson and god knows how many others we just saw the civil trial with johnny depp and amber heard what a circus that was and and this you know pretty much was a frenzy in a circus as well that's uh, oftentimes what celebrity cases end up being and it lasted about six weeks which you know is i would say fairly long for a white collar case like this but she was eventually found guilty on obstructing of justice, obstruction of justice and of an agency proceeding was, I think, the official charge and making false statements to federal investigators. And, you know, she gets used as an example a lot, you know, of a lot of times when you hear politicians that are under investigation that lie to the FBI and never do a day in jail. And, you know, they say, well, you know, Martha Stewart supposedly lied and she ended up going to prison. So, you know, and I think that's a fair point, you know, uh, Plenty of politicians do the same thing, you know, that she did with insider trading and, you know, their families, you know, make these investments on their behalf when they have all this inside information that the public doesn't. But, you know, somehow Congress and I'm not picking on one party or other because both parties, I think, are guilty of this, of, you know, taking advantage and lining their pockets and making tons of money because, you know, you have people that uh, are on salaries making 150, dollars $200,000 a year. And they're worth millions and millions of dollars. And I, you know, just don't wrap my head out of that. Somebody who's worked for the government a good chunk of my life, I don't know how they're getting this kind of money. Well, I mean, I do. I'm, you know, kind of playing devil's advocate here. But, uh, yeah, it's it's something. But it is a good point. But nonetheless, that gets brought up a lot because, uh, you know, that's one of the things she got brought down for. And she received a sentence of five months, which, you know, is fairly light, you know, for a federal crime and a white-collar crime, but, you know, she did get to, was ordered to serve it in prison, and it was followed by two years of mandatory supervised release, or what's often commonly known as parole. Now, there was some haggling that went on, I guess, between her attorneys and prosecution and the judge and everything, where she was actually going to serve this sentence at. Supposedly, she didn't want to serve it in West Virginia because that was going to make her elderly mother you know, give her difficulty and problems, uh, getting there for visits and, you know, uh, the weather I'm sure, you know, uh, is not probably what, uh, you know, she probably wanted it to be at in a rural area like that. Not a lot to do when she got out, but that is nonetheless where she did get sent to. She got sent again to Alders, Alderson, West Virginia. And, uh, that's where she did the time that, uh, the short sentence that she did. And after release, she was sentenced, uh, to a period of home confinement, which is also known as house arrest, Uh, on a period also to be monitored with an electronic bracelet or ankle monitor, which, you know, I've said it before on this show, I've dealt with them plenty on my uh, probation officer job, and, you know, I'm not really a huge fan of these. I don't think they work anywhere near what people think they do, Uh, maybe on a case like hers where somebody doesn't have a lot of time, you know, uh, to do on it or they got a lot of money and you know there's not a lot of risk or stress they're under and they can handle this chilling at home for a while but overall majority of time that i've seen these uh these just don't work on offenders oftentimes after a while they they don't charge them and they go dead and they take off or they just simply cut them off and go on the run Uh, we talked about that with eric Kahn, the con artist social security lawyer from kentucky here a while back and that's exactly what he did and they had to eventually find him in another country so they're not the full-proof save-all techniques and gadgets that people think that they are. But nonetheless, they put her on one. But, you know, to be honest with you, I mean, since she was released from prison and just had a short while to do like this, I don't think she was a huge flight risk. But that's what was ordered, and uh, that's what she did. And she was allowed some work release during this time to handle her business and go and do as she needed. And... After a while, after this was all said and done, she uh, did end up returning to television on a show called Martha Stewart Living. I'm not sure if that's still on or, you know, where you would find that at. I mean, this day and age with the gazillion streaming services that we have available for us, I'm sure, you know, if you want to watch that show, you could probably find it out there somewhere. So, uh, you know, it'd be something to check out if you are a Martha Stewart fan or if you're just curious, you know, you're new to this show and you're not overly familiar with her i'm sure you could check it out if it's still on or maybe at least find reruns of it somewhere but uh she did return to television kind of made a triumphant return and uh went back to uh business as usual and her products continued to be marketed and sold in uh a lot of stores uh some of them including sears and kmart which will tell you how long ago this was because uh you know if you're listening to this now in 2022 uh Sears and Kmart are pretty much a thing of the past I know all the ones here in my area are gone Um, many years ago I'd actually worked as a loss prevention detective for Sears and you know this was before you know they bottomed out and that's another sad thing from the past you know Kmart and Sears were a big part of my childhood growing up you know with Kmart we used to shop there a lot there was one near I where I lived and you know mom uh, got the Christmas Sears catalog all the time and Ordered from that, and sadly, none of that's around now either. You know, just uh, so many things that grew up with that are gone. But, you know, she did have some success selling her pro- uh, products in these stores when they were still doing halfway okay. And, you know, it shows you the power to celebrity. You know, the average person, when they get out of prison, even if it's just for five months, uh, they're not going to be able to, you know, if they even have a product, probably to get a store or a couple of national chains like that to pedal them. But uh, she was able to get that. Um, they were, you know, Kmart and Sears were glad to peddle. And of course, I'm sure they made a lot of money for these stores. They made, you know, these products of hers. But that, again, does show you the power and privilege of celebrity. Because, yeah, I don't think the average person could uh, probably catch a break like that upon release uh, from prison. You know, even if it's just a short sentence like that, um, it's hard for a lot of people to recover and, you know, get on with their lives when they get out of prison. But, you know, if you've got fame and fortune like she did. Uh, you're able to keep doing that, and uh, she was able to keep doing that, and probably still is. I'm sure, you know, I'm not, I don't buy her products, uh, my wife doesn't, but I'm sure they're still out there in stores somewhere, if we looked around somewhere, and uh, she also had a series on the Hallmark Channel. Again, not a channel I watch, so I don't know, it still might be on, possibly, uh, but, uh, you know, Hallmark Channel is known for the wholesomeness and, you know, Kind of things that uh, were her brand and uh, trademark and, you know, reputation and whatnot. And, you know, and he did some time there in Indiana, uh, you know, for rape. Mike Tyson did. I remember that. I was in high school. And, uh, you know, for a while, it took him a while to recover from that and to rebuild his image. I mean, now you see him all over the place. And I think people have kind of forgotten. Of course, it's been over 30 years ago when this happened, but it took a while. But Martha Stewart, I don't think really ever suffered a real great harm or any, you know, big dent to her, dam- or damage to her reputation after this, at least not, you know, like maybe it would some others you know, other celebrities and, you know, whatnot have done crimes and done time and maybe not recovered as quickly as she did. You know, we mentioned Wesley Snipes uh, on one a few weeks ago, and, you know, he's, he's coming back around now. You see him some here and there, but I don't know that he'll ever reach the star power he had prior to all this, but, you know, it, it whatever effect it had on Martha Stewart, it appeared to be minimal. She you know, like I said, was able to get a series on the Hallmark channel and, uh, even did a little acting. Supposedly it was on an episode of, uh, Law & Order. I haven't seen that one. You know, my wife watches that show from time to time and I have watched it with her a little bit here and there. I uh, haven't seen it. And I do remember one they recently advertised and I can't remember what channel it was on, but she was even supposed to have a dog, a show with the rapper Snoop Dogg, which, uh, would have been a really, really interesting show to probably see, uh, very, two very contrasting styles. And, uh, So, yeah, she hasn't certainly suffered any economic or career damage from this time that she did. And, you know, maybe people think uh, she was uh, just hunted down by the feds and prosecuted for her name and who she was. And, you know, a lot of people think maybe they should have spent time going after more hardcore white-collar criminals. I don't know. But nonetheless, uh, she did not suffer any reputation damage that really seems to have hurt her career. And this seemed, you know, it was a long time ago. You know, again, we're coming up on... 18 20 years or so from when all this happened so it seems to be well behind her and uh i haven't seen anything about any additional crimes or charges being filed against her so you know she seems to have been able to put that behind so who knows i mean if there are any other developments in her case uh you know we'll certainly bring it up on here but it is an interesting case to see that you know i mean sometimes uh the sweet and innocent like that, uh, that appear to be that way, can, you know, also be involved in some white-collar crime. So, you know, it's interesting. We'll certainly keep a look at it. And uh, we're going to take a look at uh, another famous case of a uh, similar type of uh, securities fraud, the case of Michael Milken. This is an 80s and 90s case. Some of you might remember. We mentioned him on the uh, Ivan bosky uh, podcast a couple weeks ago uh, about uh, the uh, guy that inspired Gordon Gecko. So interesting to see that story coming up as well um if you have any ideas for one uh you're always welcome to email me at ryanhornvt at com. would love to have you on uh as a guest you can certainly contact me for that had plenty of people you know that have or we have had some listeners that have been guests on this podcast and always be glad to have you on for that uh, i do do voiceover services Um finishing a couple audio books right now. And, uh, you know, I'm certainly always available and be glad to help you with any services for that. You can check that out at my website, ryan-horn.com. Be sure and like our Facebook page, white collar crimes, and, you know, follow it for any kind of updates or changes on the show. And, uh, just, you know, we appreciate you tuning in and, and supporting us. Uh, hope you'll be able to tune in to us here again real soon. And, uh, Take care and look out for each other, you know, especially the elderly. As I always say, these are the ones that are often scammed by white-collar crimes. So uh, look out for them and, uh, you know, keep out for yourself as well. And God bless and take care. We'll see you back here next week.